Welcome to The Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. Never let life's conditions shut your praise ever that is when your determination must be that all were pressed but not crossed we may be persecuted but we're not abandoned struck down struck down life in the face and tell life I know who God says I am is it okay to preach a little of it here just and we're going to talk about joy consciousness again and say ah! tell your neighbor I'm conscious of my joy <laughs> I'm conscious of my joy And nothing gonna steal my joy. Listen, joy for a believer is waters that are too deep for happiness to tread. Joy for a believer is waters that are too deep. For happiness to swim in. <laughs> Joy for our believers, waters that are too. Happiness can't. You know, if you, you've been to a swim pool before, there, there are measures of depth to it. And you see the kids in, in one foot. And you see some of you old people that don't know how to swim at 30 years old, sinking like a log of wood and carrying a, pl a plastic thing around. Shame on you. 
and we see some of you sat in the pool by the edge and putting your legs inside the water shame on you you better go learn how to swim it is a survivor skill come up in church going though I walk through the water I will not be drowned you will drown if you can't swim And you're all in the two feet part of the pool wearing a bikini that is not wet. Who knows what I'm talking about? And just before you leave the pool, you take a little water from the pool and splash it upon yourself. And where are you coming from? I, I don't be into the swimming pool. The Lord rebuke you. <laughs> and you're in the you're in the two feet section, splashing your feet like a mermaid in the water. And then there's four feet. And the deeper the pool, the less the people there. <laughs> the deeper the pool gets, the less people you find there. Because deep waters are not for the majority. And you get a seven feet. And you probably find just two people. And in the distance, you can see with the periphery of your eyes, you can see 12 feet deep. And you're like, no, God forbid, bad day. <laughs> but you see, ain't no pro swimmer or pro diver is going to mess with anything less than 12 feet. Because if you dived at less than 12 feet, 15 feet, you're likely going to hit the bottom and bust your head. So the deeper the pool gets, the less the people are there. Because <laughs> the big fish don't swim in shallow waters. And so everybody can splutter in the pool at one foot and feel like a swimmer because they have engagements with water. And anybody can be happy because they got a job before they submitted their CV and application. I, 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 you know what I'm talking about? It. <laughs> and anybody can be happy because you proposed and she said yes. Shallow waters. Anybody can be glad because they just got capital to start a business. Because you got a brand new phone. <laughs> two feet you got a call from somebody who forgot about you and is abroad for a while well maybe three feet but then you look a little down there and you see someone with no reason to be happy <laughs> someone who by life's standard life has dealt a bad hand Everything around you seems like it's crumbling. <laughs> and yet you go, God is the strength of my life. In my portion forever. Though the mountains be brought forth and cast into the sea, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And all of us on the shallow side, We'll look at the person on the deep side and say, that one is crazy. 
that, that, that one is crazy. And that's what happens with someone who has revelation. He, he swings apart from the crowd. Because the crowd is always in the shallow part. Watch a movie or go to the beach and have a look. Everybody's by the side of the shore. Everybody's playing football by the side. Everyone is building sand castles and everyone is doing the splashing and, and jumping when the shore, when the wave comes to the shore. Wave that's not even up to one foot high. All it, all it, all it takes is to look 30 meters into the water. Show me how many people are there. Don't be carried away by what the crowd is carried away with. Because that's the revelation that separates the men from the boys. If you smile only when you have a reason to, you're in shallow waters. <laughs> if you look good only because you have money, you're in shallow waters. You come into church with a spring on your step because you're wearing nice kicks or on your new dress, you're in shallow waters. Oh, I can't, I can't, I can't wear this dress. I wore it last week. There's part of wearing your own dress that lets people know you did not borrow it. You didn't borrow it. That's why you can wear it again and again. Because if you are borrowing it, it's not available every time. So if it's yours, you're going to rock it with pride. It belongs to me. I didn't borrow it. Oh, but look at you. I saw you wear this shirt three weeks ago. Say, because it is mine. Because it is mine. It belongs to me. And you're going to let anyone drag you into shallow waters. And the depth of revelation has set you apart from the rest. Tell a neighbor, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of swimming in shallow waters. I'm tired of swimming in shallow waters. Everything about the gospel is a journey to take you from the shallow to the deep. Jesus says, if you give to those that give to you, what reward have you? Because that's where the majority is. Talk to me, somebody. If you forgive those who forgive you, you're nice to them that are nice to you. What reward is there for you? You are in shallow waters. And Jesus says to them, even the unbelievers do that. <laughs> so if you're happy because the going is good, you are no different from an unbeliever. <laughs> Out. If you're happy because the going is good, only when the going is good, you're no different from an unbeliever. No different from a heathen. Happy-go-lucky. But our joy is not a function of circumstances. That's why the world doesn't understand it. And so one look at the church, you can tell who in the church is spiritual. And who in the church is an ambassador of the world. In the church. In the church, you see someone whose joy is cascading beyond measure. Another person is looking at you and thinking, ho ho, look at this one, why is so loud? Right there you can tell, same pool, different depths. 
Same pool. Same spirit. Same flow. Same word. Same release. Same outpouring. Different days. Somebody gets the word and dares to swim deep with it. Somebody else gets it and it's like that. Seed that falls by the wayside. And someone's looking at you like, oh, what's wrong with this one? Do you know what I've been through? No, the whole idea about sonship is that you never look like what you're going through. <laughs> so someone who looks like what they're going through and wears their issues on their head. Shallow waters. Shallow waters. Oh, come on, put your hands together and give God praise. You don't, you, you don't know what I've been through. So when we know what you're being through, what should we say to you? Sons of God don't make themselves objects of pity. <laughs> oh no. We're royalty, honey. We're blue-blooded. <laughs> Our pops is the king. And he is our portion. We're not objects of pity. No, our pops is a king. And he has left us the kingdom. So what should we do when we know what you're going through? Say, okay, everybody lift up your hands and give him praise. Except these three who are going through. Everybody open your mouth and pray in the Holy Ghost. Except those five who suffered a heartbreak. Everybody give God a shout and praise. Except those two whose business went bad. Somebody give God a dance. Except those two who are not happy with the other three in church. And a lot of times we want to get church to tailor make its service delivery to your condition. We should take into consideration where you are and rearrange the flow of the spirit to be subject to where you are. God no go gray. It is you that will align yourself to the flow of the spirit. What excuse is justifiable for toning down the volume of your spirit flow? What is the person's name? You can even say it. What is the condition's name? What is the situation's name? To whom you can tell, Father Lord, this situation has succeeded. In taking your place in my life. In this Christ experience, I don't, I know you're here and everything. I, I can feel your presence, but I don't feel like I should respond because what I'm dealing with feels like it's stronger. <laughs> you're, not, you're not joy conscious. I, I know your presence is here. Everyone's so happy. I, I don't get it. I am, I'm, I'm not over this thing. I'm not over that person. The reason why God is not God so much in some of your lives is because you don't let him. Because you build altars around your pain. Imaginations that you should cast down, you exalt. 
Mirages that you should counter with your reality. You make those mirages the reality. And you know mirages never fade? When you're driving, you see that little pool of water? And as you're approaching the pool of water, it's no longer there, it has appeared in front. And you are never getting to the water. Who has experienced it? Growing up as a child, it used to, it used to trouble me a great deal. We travel with my parents, I'm upset. I'm wondering, what, why, is the, why, is the, why are we not arriving the water in the road? That's what a mirage is called. It just keeps moving further and further away. The more you're trying to, to grab and apprehend it, the further away from your reach it is. And once you get caught up in chasing a mirage, you'll never arrive there. You never arrive there. So what's the name of the thing that can dampen your joy? So let's talk about it for a minute. To understand and be conscious of your joy, you must borrow from your understanding of grace. We said in grace consciousness that great God graces, God's grace is parallel to his love. We said God's grace is a person along with his ability. Do you remember that? From grace consciousness. It is that grace, God's divine ability in a man that causes an ordinary man to do extraordinary things. Do you remember that? Causes a natural man to do superhuman things. That grace is a person. His name is Jesus. It is the grace of God in you that produces joy. So the absence of joy in the life of a believer is the believer's mockery of grace. Do you understand what I'm saying now? You, you, because it's by grace you're saved. Through faith. That's saving grace. And then there's energizing grace. You know we talked about common grace. Talked about special grace. And then we talked about the charismatic grace of God. The grace of God that causes you to do stuff. Now, the grace of God is why you are saved, how you are saved, and how you are preserved. But somehow, you either have no joy, or conveniently lose it. For a believer to be without joy is for the believer to make a mockery of grace. Because joy is the product of grace. Are you here? <laughs> Let's start from 1 Thessalonians 5 and 16. Rejoice! You know, obeying God's word is actually very simple. There's nothing complex about it. Two words. Rejoice. Do it always. Where it becomes difficult is where the believer goes, but sir, are you now saying? I know you said always, but does always also imply this other situation where these other things like this? Duh. Look your neighbor in the eye without a smile. Without a smile, and tell your neighbor always. Because the doubts that you allow to awaken in your heart are the doubts the enemy will take advantage of. The doubts you allow to awaken in your heart, each time you look for an exception in obeying God's word, that's where the enemy would exploit. Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. 
Each time you look for an exception, the enemy is smart. Listen to me. Satan will never come to you and say, <laughs> don't let Nigerian movies deceive you. But please, that is not the theological and doctrinal standpoint on the way the things of the spirit function. That's mostly human viewpoint. Because scripture tells us, Paul says that Satan himself is an angel of light. That means the picture that you have of some guy with a long tail and, and, and two horns and a fork, three-pronged fork in his hand, oozing smoke and fire from his nose. That ain't Satan. Because if Satan came like that, everybody will know that he's Satan. And Satan's agenda is that when he comes, you should not know that it is him. Because if he comes and goes, ha, 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 ha. You instantly know. His, his agenda is that you don't know it's him. Because if you could easily identify Satan, hear me, you don't need discernment. You will not need to deploy discernment. If you go, no, that's Satan. That's Satan. So you're thinking he will come to you and say, don't do that one. I know God said, but don't. Sons of God come to present themselves before the Lord and he comes among them, not behind them. Angelic beings, Job 1. And Satan comes among them, like them. Looking and sounding as them. He blends in perfectly. So he's not going to come to you like your enemy. Satan never comes to you as your enemy. He's smoother than that. He doesn't come to you against God. He comes to you, hear me carefully, modifying God. Did God say? Genesis 3. That means instantly he acknowledged God. Did God say that it's not, it's all the tree and all the fruit you should know it. Is that what God said? Oh no, 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 that's not what God said. What, what God said was, ABC, oh no. Oh, oh, so let me explain to you what, what you said God said actually means. You will not surely die, you will just become modified. So Satan doesn't come opposing God. He actually in most cases comes trying to explain God. And he chooses your current weakness yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. and modifies God to play to that particular weakness. At the time Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain, it's not women he would have tempted Jesus with. Because that was not Jesus' reality at that point. He was tempted in every way. That means includes women. And money and pride or else is a lie when scripture says he was tempted in every way it's not on record doesn't mean it didn't happen after all John said in 21 if all the things were that happened were written said so the world would have enough books space to contain all the books that could be written so at his temptation turn if you are God the son of God 
turn stones to bread because the issue now is what to eat so the enemy will come to give you a false explanation of God that is suitable to your current situation are you listening to me so that's why to you God cannot be one dimensional God cannot be Jaira and that's all he is to you he cannot be Sikeno and that's all he is to you he cannot be Rohi and that's all he is to you he, he is he said I am as the journey began they began to experience dimensions of I am as they had need Are you following me now? So the enemy will always come and want to explain God, give you an alternate explanation of God depending on what you're dealing with right now. Right now. If it's when you are in money issues, he will tempt you with money. All of a sudden, you start coming around crooks. Seems like everybody you're in the taxi with is a Yahoo boy. Talk to me now. Just all of a sudden. Seems like every lady they are chatting with is a lady who is doing something with her body for money. And then it, it appears though every good influence disappears. Because the enemy has a way of exploiting your current weakness. That's why you cannot serve God emotionally. You can't. Because your perspective of God will change as your emotion is changing. As your emotion changes, your perspective of God will change. You can't be constant because you're following fleeting, undulating emotions. But the grace of God produces joy. So he says, rejoice always. That means there can be no exception. Yes, yes, now, when scripture says rejoice always, it establishes possibility. Scriptures would not tell you to do what grace has not empowered you to do. Yes. If scriptures tell you to do it, it is drawing out of you what grace has put into you. So when scripture says, rejoice always, scripture is acknowledging the possibility of the believer to rejoice always. In other words, if the scriptures say, I should rejoice always, I can rejoice always. Scriptures will not be telling me to rejoice always if scripture does not believe I have the ability by the grace of God to rejoice always. That means scripture, person. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God will justify, preach the gospel to Abraham. Scripture, person. So when scripture says rejoice always, scripture knows you can rejoice always. And in scripture telling you to rejoice always, scripture is releasing grace to you to rejoice always. <laughs> because Romans 10, 17 makes clear that now faith 
by hearing. Don't let comms get in the way. Comms is mostly in italics. Now, presently, none in the Greek. N-U-N. Presently. Faith. By hearing. As you're hearing now, presently, faith. It's not faith comes. As in when you are hearing, that's when faith is coming. Mm -mm. Faith presently by hearing. Are you following me? So at the hearing of God's word is the activation of the faith required to bring it to pass. Such that the moment God said, take now your son, your only son whom you love, give him to me. In the instruction Abraham was receiving was the grace required to carry it out. So when scripture says rejoice always, it means you can. We need to get that right first. I can rejoice always. Say that for yourself. That's important. The moment you establish that, you would never be looking for an exception. You are struggling with finding an exception because you have not acknowledged that you can. If, I, if my reality is always, then there are no some ways that can punctuate my always. Some ways can't escape always. Always. So I am determined to rejoice always, not as a personal effort, but as an acknowledgement of the grace of God by which every believer can rejoice always. You know the interesting thing? The word rejoice and the word joy is the word Cairo. C-H-A-I-R-O. C-H-A-I-R-O. Ah, if you follow any bit of Bible, English, and New Testament Greek, you know that it sounds very similar to the word charis. Because they are both cognates. A cognate is a word that derives from a similar source as another. Right? In language, in linguistics, in etymology. A cognate is a family of words that share a common root even if their connotations might vary slightly from each other. Does that make sense? A family of words that derive from the same. And you see cognates appear a lot in doctrine. A lot. You see why glory and honor are very closely linked in scripture. You see where grace and thanksgiving are very closely linked in scripture. And today you see how joy and grace are closely linked because Cairo means to acknowledge and be grateful and delight in grace. <laughs> so to rejoice means to acknowledge and be glad for grace. 
that's the prefix and it means to be inclined towards or to lean towards it's spelled c-h-a-r phonetically speaking but if you're if you're spelling it in greek it to be x-a-r but you can't pronounce that because of the consonant so to be c-h-a-r as the root of that cognate and it, it means to be inclined towards or to gravitate in the direction of does that make sense so it's from car and then the other word from which from the family that he derives that is the word charis which is the word grace or also depending on context and usage the word thanksgiving so from, from that family of words you get the word for rejoice Cairo be inclined or favorably disposed or conscious of or mindful of and therefore respond to the grace of God are you here now so that's why we're instructed and encouraged to rejoice and I put a statement here. This was actually the first thing that came to my heart when this began to come. Joy is the believer's default response to the sound and rhythm of the Spirit. Joy is the believer's default response to the sound. In fact, I added to the unforced sounds and rhythm of the Spirit. Romans 14, 17. I rejoice always. No exception. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy. King James ends it well. King James uses ghost. Yeah. This is how spirits, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. The kingdom is righteousness. The kingdom is not in righteousness. The kingdom is peace. Not in peace. The kingdom is joy. And this joy is in the Holy Ghost. I rejoice always. <laughs> I'm going somewhere. If joy is a product of grace, it means joy is the result of the revelation of grace. Stay with me carefully. In a short while you will see how to not be joyful is to walk in the law. To be in dead works. And to fall from grace. Being joyful in this kingdom is serious business. Serious business Nehemiah chapter 7. Man, I love God's word. Rejoice in the Lord always and again. I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. One. Rejoice. Rejoice. And again I say rejoice. 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 
And again I say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Who knows that song? Read old song, Sunday school song. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice, 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 and again I say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. Oh yes, I rejoice always. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. Do it again, everybody. Righteousness, righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. as one man in the open square follow this story carefully in the open square that was in front of the water gate this is Israel having come back to Jerusalem Nehemiah having brought them back from captivity having found favor with the king having gotten letters from the king to allow all the governors of the provinces on their way back to Israel give them all the material they needed to build back Jerusalem and the wall and the gate right I'm giving the backdrop so they had built the Jerusalem walls they had put back all the gates and everything was happy and hunky-dory. And then they gather in the open square. Put the scripture back up. And they told Ezra the scribe. 
<laughs> to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord has commanded Israel <laughs> they told Israel scribe bring the book of the law which the Lord commanded Israel verse 2 we're going all the way so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month then he read from it what did he read from the book of the law of Moses in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday at least six hours before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law and for a second right there you think everything is going very well the book of the law is being read everyone who can understand it, their ears are attentive and for six hours they are hearing the word of God next verse so Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood he didn't start today platform of wood which they had made for the purpose not for altar And, and, and his scripture is very clear. And beside him at his right hand stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Urijah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And at his left hand, Padiah, Mishael, Maljika, Hashum, Hasbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Keep going. And Israel opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up and Ezra blessed the Lord the great God and all the people answered amen, amen amen while lifting up their hands and again it looks like his service is going very well and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground this is sounding like a very wonderful service also, Jeshua, Baniah, Serebiah, Jamin, Akub, Sabathai, Hodijah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Paliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. Next verse. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave sense so here's what's happening Ezra is reading the book of the law and these Levites as priests are scattered among the people as they are standing and in companies each Levite is breaking down the law for the people and the picture that is painted is that they are worshiping and their hands are up and their faces are bowed and and they are loving on the Lord and they are having a great time of service and see where joy comes from uh, help them to understand the reading in verse 9 and Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Why? For all the people wept when they heard. Stay there. Bring the word of the law. Read it to us. The word of the law is brought. You are worshipping, but guess what? They are worshipping and crying. 
So it turns out there's a difference between understanding and revelation. Because everyone who could attend, everyone who could pay attention was paying attention. Everyone who could comprehend was comprehending. And even those who could not comprehend, there were Levites and priests among the people breaking down the word of the law. So when Paul gets up and calls it the ministry of death, don't argue too much. Uh, Because people in the company of the saints in, in the open square were weeping. And crying when they heard the word of the law. Why? Because the law only amplifies your inadequacies. And doesn't show you a way out. It just shows you how incapable and inadequate you are. How insufficient of yourself you are. It takes a a different dynamic to bring out the good in the law. So now he went from explaining the word of the law to people to telling them, don't cry now. Why are you crying? Put verse 9 back up. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. So there was understanding, but there was no spirit. They, they understood. That's how. So when we say, do not wear two different fabrics and don't plan two different things. When you do this and that, you have broken the law. And you know how the law says in that place that if you broke one, you're guilty of breaking all. The more you understand what the law is, the more sad you become. Do you understand? The, the, the sadness and the weeping was coming from understanding. <laughs> because what you don't understand doesn't affect you. So the more they understood that this is exactly what the law demanded, the more they wept. The more they wept, the more the priests were trying to even make them understand more. Which means they were making them weep more. And sometimes you look at it and you can think, that's, that's what church they be sometimes. Though. What should be that see you cry? It's like, hey, hey! Also, it's working. The spirits. And so you want to stay there and, and twist it and, and stretch it a bit more because you feel like that's the flow of the spirit. Yeah. Be careful with sentimentalism. <laughs> so now the priest is going, okay, okay the, the, the governor, don't, don't, don't cry now. This day is holy. How can you be hearing the word of God and be crying? Because all the law highlights is your inadequacies. And there cannot be joy when the law is at play. And therefore it also means that there cannot be law when joy is at play. There can't be joy when the law is at play. There can't be the law when joy is at play. The two are at odds with each other. And you're wondering, Pav, what are you saying? See verse 10. Nehemiah 8 and 10. Then he said to them, go your way. Tell your neighbor, go your way. way. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet. And send portions for those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow. All the law highlighted was weaknesses. Strength 
is derived from the joy of the Lord. Not from the law of Moses. These guys read the law of Moses without seeing the message of the law. So they wept. It took one who had understanding of the joy of the Lord to say, don't weep. In fact, chill. Eat, be merry. In fact, even take and send to those that don't have. Because this is good news. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So the revelation of the grace of God is what evokes joy from the believer. The revelation of the grace of God. Not the magnification of the law. The revelation of the grace of God is what produces joy in the believer. And that joy is the strength of God. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I've said this over and over in many years of ministry. Most times you're going through a weak time and you're praying to God for strength. He gives you a capsule called joy. And you don't like it because you're not a fan of capsules. And you don't realize that in that capsule called joy is the strength you need in times of weakness. I think God is crazy because he's giving you joy when you're weak. When you're expecting him to give you strength. And he tells you rejoice. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. But God has never been in the business of making sense. You're going through a tough time and he tells you rejoice. Do you now see why rejoice always makes sense? I'm going through a tough time. You're telling me to rejoice. What does that do for anybody? How can I just be laughing and rejoicing in the midst of my misfortune? Because in that joy is his strength. That's when the joy of the Lord transmutes that strength to you. So don't despise his joy while seeking his strength. Because his strength will come disguised in his joy. Capsuled in joy. In other words, for you to abdicate joy is for you to abdicate strength. You can't be without joy and have strength. Are you here? You can't. How, how, how else do you want to be strong? When the kingdom is joy. Yeah, Romans 14. You know, God is not meat and bread, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy. And that joy is your strength. So you're looking for strength, and we say, Rejoice always. He said, Please carry your joy, pack it somewhere. We're looking for strength, you're bringing us joy. Who joy help? Ask the strong man. We rejoice always. We rejoice always. The music doesn't need to play. don't have to have your music box charged are you following me your phone can be in the market forgotten twice and you're still joyful because in that joy is the permeation of strength are you here
joy itself is also a byproduct of the good news of salvation. Every time you hear the good news of your salvation, it generates joy. In the book of Esther, after, <laughs> that's another beautiful story. Stuff had gone down with Mordecai and Haman and Esther, Hadassah and the king, Zegzex as Ahasuerus. And when, because when it happened, the, the, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, if the king passes an edict, he cannot, even the king cannot reverse it. Yeah, the Persian law. Yeah. If the king passes an, an edict or a, a law and ratifies it with his signet ring, even he can't reverse it. He has to pass another edict. It doesn't cancel it. So if I did something that puts you at risk because I believed that um, Esther was right and Mercy was guilty and then I found and I've, and I've passed the, the verdict right that makes uh, Mercy guilty and therefore Esther can do to Mercy whatever she deserves and then I come and find out that Mercy is actually innocent I can't reverse it I can only pass another edict that says to Mercy when Esther attacks you defend yourself does that make sense? So Esther will come at mercy on the strength of the word of the king. Mercy will arm herself and hit Esther back on the strength of the word of the king. That's what happened with the children of Israel, with the Jews. Because the king had already passed the edict based on Haman's machinations for the Jews to be wiped out. And then Esther approached him and found favor in his sight. So he then released another edict and said, Everybody defend yourself. If anybody attacks you, wipe them out. Does that make sense? Esther chapter 8. So now, you have people who are Babylonians. In Babylon. Becoming Jews. Because of this second edict of the king. If the king could pass a law. Stating that any Babylonian that attacks a Jew, the Jew should attack him back. You know what? I think we should leave this Babylon and become Jews. Verse 17. Esther 8, 17. And you know, I've talked about it before. It's a type of our salvation story. I don't have time to go into it. I, I don't want to teach too deep. I just want to remind somebody about their joy. Esther 8, 17. Each time we hear the good news of salvation, it evokes joy. And in every province and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness. A feast. Wow. See the next line. Then many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. In the same way as during Passover, the Egyptians supported. There were Egyptians that left Egypt with Israel. I mean, you saw your firstborn die. The firstborn of your animal die. The firstborn of your goat die. You saw that there's darkness in Egypt. You're looking at Goshen. You are seeing light in Goshen. You are seeing River Nile go red and there's water in Goshen. Flies, low cost in Egypt. Across the road, in Goshen, 
if it is you. I will first go to Moses and say, where are you people passing to go out? <laughs> Let's go and wait for you there. Me? No. You know, my name is Jeremiah. No. Yeah. Go and investigate my Egyptian name. It's the Egyptian for Jeremiah. Yeah. My name is Jehoshua. All along. I was Jewish and Egyptian skin. If it was you, instantly change quickly. For fear of the Jews, meanwhile, Jews were celebrating with joy because their salvation had come. So, seest thou a man without joy? He is a man who is oblivious of his salvation. He's a man who does not understand the particulars of his salvation. In other words, the, the measure to which you are mindful of your salvation is the measure to which you are joyful. Because joy is the acknowledgement of God's grace. Are you here? This is what God gave us in Jesus. John 16 and 22. I rejoice always. John 16, 22. Jesus is going to the cross, not to heaven. Yeah? Remember? From church consciousness. John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Jesus is preparing them for his journey to the cross. So whatever we read, we must read in light of that journey. And so he's telling them as he's going to the cross, this is not the resurrected Jesus. Right? This is pre-cross. He tells them, therefore now you have sorrow. But I will see you again. This is not when I return in glory. This is actually when I resurrect. Because he was preparing to go to the cross. Right? I will see you again and your heart will rejoice. One. Two. What joy were you going to receive? The joy of seeing him again. Or the joy of witnessing his resurrection. And once you receive the joy, it says I will see you again. That's what happened when he rose from the dead. And it says you will rejoice and that joy. So if someone took your joy, it makes Jesus a liar. So I know a lot of you say God is your all in all. You know, so you say, you know, you, you know, you're my all in all. There's no one above you. There's no one besides you. But then something happens with someone and your joy is gone. But Jesus who gave you the joy said no one can take it from you. So how are they taking it? You've got to be joy conscious. Which means you must guard your joy jealously. No one is strong enough. It's, it, 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 let me repeat. A lot of us say God is my all in all. God is on the throne. You are God alone with me for time. Begun, you are on the throne. You are God alone. Unchangeable, unshakable, unsurmountable. That's who you are. And then a slight issue comes knocking on the door of your heart. And he is off the throne. He's no more God alone. 
Because at that point, the person that has dethroned God has become God. That person has become God. In that instant. Both good and bad. I, I couldn't come to church because I don't have transport. Ah, ah brother, victory. Because now that we now we know you have job. In fact, they give you job before you give them CV and application. So now we know you have job. Ah, what? Ah, we're not seeing you in church again. Say, so, ah, bros, you know now my job. That my job. It's very tasking. In fact, I work seven days a week. 30 hours every day. 30 hours every day. 15 months a year. <laughs> so, at the time, your problem was transport. That became your co-god. At the time, transport is no longer your problem. Busyness. So, really, we can tell your consistency by who occupies the throne of your life in different seasons of your life. And unfortunately, this is the reality of a lot of believers. Our throne is for the highest bidder per time. It's not necessarily for God. Though. It is if God is good by our standard. Because you know for the believer, God is good according to performance. Not according to his nature. But God's goodness is not performance based. In other words, God does not have to do good for you for him to be good. <laughs> God is not good because you got good from him. No. He's good and therefore he does good. He's not good because you got something good from him. But for a lot of us, the throne of our hearts is for the highest bidder. So the, the, the biggest hurt in my life right now gets the throne. Everything else can wait. I'm dealing with a heartbreak. Everything, God, spirit, church, everything. I'm dealing with a major situation in my life right now. I have major issues. I'm dealing with. So at that point, God is off the throne. Church, off the throne. Family, Adelphos, off the throne. Pastors, church leaders, off the throne. Giving, off the throne. My throne is occupied by my current situation. Why, why should I smile? My throne is occupied by my current problem. And then the problem passes. You now have the throne vacant again. God now comes back on it. Shortly after that, you come into some money. God comes off. It's good times. Let me challenge you. Most times when a Christian says, ah, God is faithful. They're lying. Most times they are saying, I'm chilling. Yeah. Ah, how are you? Ah, God is faithful. They have money. 
Oh, God is good. That money. But for a believer to be going through a tough time and say, how you say, God is faithful. Very rare. But that's when it matters most. That's when it matters most. Is God faithful when you're hurting? Is he faithful when you're going through? Is he faithful when you're losing money? Is he faithful when you're alone? Down and out, shattered, battered, tattered. Is he faithful? Or is he faithful just when you made sales today? How are you? Ah, what shall we say? I will go do. We're managing. What you mean is no money today. Did he have money? How you doing? Ah, bros. God is faithful. Who knows what I'm talking about? The size of your, your wallet or bank account. No. Shallow waters. <laughs> but this joy is a function of his resurrection. And therefore no one can steal it from you. So if your joy is such that can be stolen, uh, maybe you're just in the shallow waters of happiness. Because if it's indeed the joy of the Lord, the promise is that no one will take it from you. So before we say, was your joy stolen? Such as it will make Jesus a liar. The question is, what you have that was stolen? Is it joy? Is it joy? Because if it's the joy that the Lord gives, no one. Because if this is joy and it was stolen, <laughs> are you ready for this? If your joy was stolen successfully, you fell from grace. What is grace? Self-effort. Opposite. What is works? Your effort. What magnifies works? The law. The law gives you a standard to make you think your effort can attain. Grace is the retirement of self-effort. Right? If something can steal your joy, it is something you think your reality cannot handle. Because let me sort this out for my for myself first before we resume spiritual things. The moment something can successfully dampen or steal your joy, it means you have gotten to a point where you are trying to figure out for yourself how to come out of what you are dealing with. The moment you get to the point where you try to figure out for yourself how to deal with yourself, you're in works. Because like I said last week, you start to want to attain by works what is only obtainable by grace. Are you following me now? And by strength, scripture says, shall no man prevail. 
So the moment you abdicate joy or something can steal your joy, what you are saying is something can shut down the grace of God. And the only thing that can shut down the grace of God is the works of the Lord. Not sin. In fact, sin energizes grace for where sin abounds. <laughs> it's religion that deceives you. No, no, no. It is sin that is threatened by grace. Grace is not freedom for sin. It is freedom from sin. Are you here now? Grace is not freedom for sin. It's freedom from sin. So we keep saying grace is sin's worst nightmare. Grace is not threatened by sin. No. Sin is ingredient for the manifestation of grace. Afraid of sin, so sin is not enough to dethrone grace. Where sin about it's not scripture, Romans 5:20. So, no, grace is not afraid of sin, man. The only thing that can hold grace in its tracks is where you leave it and go back to the law. Galatians 5:4. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law. So the only time a person can fall from grace is when they turn their sights to the law. To self-effort. To works. To self-righteousness. Which is unrighteousness. To taking their eyes away from Christ because of the circumstance. Be of good cheer. Be not afraid. It is I. Huh? It is you. If it is you, bid me come to you walking on water the same way you are walking on water. Peter, right? And Jesus goes, come. And as I've taught you before, in the word of Jesus, come, was all the possibility Peter needed. To walk on water. Yes, Don't let anybody deceive you. Jesus was not the only man to walk on water. Be careful what you're saying. There are at least two men that walked on water. Yes. Jesus and Peter. How be it briefly? But while you are measuring the length of the have you walked on water? And in the word, come. The elements were arranged to solidify liquid under Peter's feet. And he stepped out of the boat in the middle of a storm. Because Jesus came in the storm walking on water. So it's not like everything is just so smooth. You know, the boat is just dancing gently. No, no, there's a storm kicking. And he steps out and he's walking on water. Actually, walking on the word that enabled him to walk on water. And 
for a second, everything is going perfectly. Because he's looking on Jesus, the word. Until like Tom and Jerry, he looks down and goes, oops. I'm not supposed to be walking on water. No, the, the laws of gravity and aerodynamics and aquatics are, 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 are diametrically opposed to this reality right now. This is not supposed to be happening. And in that instant, because of self-effort and self-awareness, he sank. Until the Lord helped him. So he didn't walk on water as it were. He walked on the word. So what cost his fall? He took his eyes off. Grace. Ability. Are you following me now? So if grace produces joy, if joy is the product of grace, and you hand away your joy, what have you done? You're falling from grace. Because you've become conscious of the realities you've taken your eyes off of Jesus you've become estranged from Christ so for the believer joy is a big deal it's a big deal we don't get a day off we rejoice always is anybody getting this? always Romans 15 13 I like this one. Romans 15, 13. I rejoice always. You know, the music doesn't have to be fast or even present. You know, we have a problem with rejoicing because, because music has become the face of worship. We don't necessarily, I said this a few weeks ago, joy is not choreographed. We could care less because you must be careful what you have made worship. But for a lot of us, we have made music worship. So we, we worship worship. Not the object of worship. We worship the feel. The euphoria. The, the ambience. The adrenaline rush. You know, The vibe. Such that when it's not there, you can't worship. And that's why the most dangerous worship leader in church is the one that only leads worship in church. That worship leader will kill you. The only time they worship is on a microphone. On a microphone. If they sit there and they're not in they cannot worship. It doesn't matter who is leading you and if the person came with the angelic host. You can't flow. It is your turn. Such a person worships the euphoria of worship. The vibe of worship. That person is not a worshiper. Because if you're a worshiper, all you need to do is to smell the fragrance of worship. And you're gone. The fragrance. And God will not send you an email to tell you who he wants to pass it through today. So for most of us, music is the face of our worship. So in the absence of music, you can't worship. That's why for many African churches, you think praise is... Your waist must be involved. 
That's why the praise has to be high. High praise or hot praise. Which praise is cold? And which one is low? Our joy is not a function of these things. It's a state of consciousness that acknowledges the grace of God. That joy is fed by our hope. Romans 15, 13. I mentioned this a while ago. Right? <laughs> I didn't get to it. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in your believing so that you will abound in hope. And you know what this hope is. We've talked about it extensively. What enables you abound in hope? Joy. So joy constantly bubbling on your inside keeps your eyes focused. That's what causes you to be joyful when your body is not feeling nice. What keeps you going? The hope that you have. That's the beauty of it. It's not every time we want to preach, sir. It's not every time we want to come. It's not every time we want to smile. So, so we're, not, we're not doing this because we don't have pains. But our conviction is rock solid. We're joyful. We are joyful. We don't have to be happy to be joyful. But we are joyful enough to be happy. Are you here today? That's joy. The world didn't give it. The world can't take it. First Peter 1 8. Joy from hope. First Peter 1 8. And 9, perhaps. Uh, um, give, us a, give us a sentence where it starts. Probably verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of, now this is the subject, Jesus Christ, whom not having seen you love. Right? Not having seen in his exalted state. Right? We now who are waiting. Not having seen, we love. Though now you do not see him yet, because you believe, you rejoice with inexpressible joy. Because you believe. You do not see yet, believing, you rejoice. So again, you see joy here as a product of faith. Because you believe, you rejoice inexpressible joy and full of glory go on into verse 9 receiving the end of your faith now I am believe because I believe what I have not seen I rejoice full of glory because I know I will receive what I have believed that's why that joy cannot cease because that joy is based on a hope for my joy to cease, it will be for me to lose my hope. 
and because I cannot lose my hope for that hope is built on two immutable things by which is it impossible for God to lie and because I have that living hope behind the veil I can't lose my joy you rejoice in spite of what you're going through because you know the end of it you are receiving the end of your faith and salvation of your souls it doesn't matter what life throws at you hallelujah James 1, 2, and 3. Count it. Oh, joy, Adelphos. My brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into assorted. <laughs> Count it all joy when you fall into various. So let's settle some things. Are you a brethren? Yeah, <laughs> brethren. You will when fall. Hmm? into various trials when you just, just settle into it that there is a when with your name on it and that when with your name on it is not for one trial it's just for one no. there's now assorted trials that have a different when 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 your name so you see it is shallow waters therefore to say ah, uh, uh, God when will this trial end when the next one begins <laughs> because you will go through all of them every trial has a when it's assorted it's various ah, ah, when when will this pass when the next one starts why is all of this going through? Ah, that the testing of your faith produce patience. Therefore, let patience have its full work. So count it all joys to look at every situation and respond to it according to the grace of God. Remember car? Look at it from the perspective of God's grace. You'll never be sad another day in your life. We look at you one moment, we know they've not paid you salary. You know what I'm talking about. You are a baby. You're, only you think you are deep. But check the end of the pool you are swimming. You people are plenty there. That's how we know you are not deep. If you are among those that are not happy because you don't have money, you are in the majority. Majority is in the shallow end of the pool. Do you know the beauty of sonship is to get up and be looking at you. Sometimes come out of yourself and look at yourself doing what you know that you should not 
ordinarily be able to do. And you two will come out and look yourself and go, eh? Grace is working. My life is changing. See his glory. This is heaven on You should be able to shock yourself regularly by your ability to draw and leverage the grace of God. Your ability to, you look at yourself, you know, this is, this is nothing but the grace of God. You, you, be careful about your reality if everything you find yourself doing is what you thought you could do. Everything you, every time you're singing, it's because you think your voice is good. Every time you're preaching, it's because you think, ah, I'm ready. I have a message. Oh, the weather is good. Everything looks nice. Grace is working. That's not the definition. But you constantly find yourself in awe of God's grace when you see yourself doing things that ordinarily you shouldn't be able to do. That's, that's the function of grace. God's ability by which a natural man does supernatural things. By which an ordinary man does extraordinary things. You finish playing drums, you finish, and you know that, wow, this, this had to have been the grace of God. But if you did what you did in the flesh, because you like music. <laughs> ah, I like to preach. I will, not, I will not miss any opportunity to preach. <laughs> no, you, you get to the point where you know that, you know, this, this, was, this was all my life I've been carried by grace. Don't, don't ask me how. Because I, I can't explain. It's not in short of a miracle. I'm here. You, you ought to know. You ought to know that this one is just, it's, 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 it has to be the grace of God. It has to be strength that was delivered to me in the capsule of his joy. You have to know. You have to know. You have to know. If it's happiness, if it's how he's doing now, Ah, there are times when he will not, he will not feel like he's doing you well. And because it's various trials, he will not be once. Count it all joy. Consider it joy. Let's see how the TPT puts this. I rejoice always. My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulty. See it as, as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. Wow. Let's see the message. Consider to share gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you <laughs> from all sides. Keep going. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. <laughs> Under pressure. So when you're going through life, it's an opportunity to showcase the joy of God. It's when you're going through that it matters the most. That's when you're conscious. I am a son of God. And, and so I'm not moved by what I'm going through. But I will go through. Do you understand? I am no victim. 
evil division. I'm covered by the force of light. Covered in my Savior's blood. I am no orphan. I'm not a poor man. now become my own. He's my father. Second verse. I do not wonder. I do not wonder if his plans for me are good. will come through as it should because he is provision and his enough wisdom to usher in my brightest days and turn my morning into prayers It's not just it's not simply restored greater things greater things he's my father lift it up everybody for me a good just it's not simply greater things greater things greater things Declare. Declare. 
Declare it. Yes. In a manos. And the fine bar. Shape bar. Lift it up. Lift it up. Declare. 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 With joy in your heart. That's our reality. We're not defined by what happens around us. No, 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 no. We're better than that. I thought I was going to come and to preach, but I think I needed to break this down for somebody. It's not about what happens around us. Once you understand this, then you begin to live your life happening to stuff. Not stuff happening to you. Who got this? You start to happen to stuff. Not, not stuff happening to you. But joyful always. Oh, 2 Corinthians 6. 10. That's a good one. 2 Corinthians 6 and 10. You hear what Paul says? Start, start from verse 9. Ooh, ooh. Start from verse 9. Uh, go back, go back, go back, go back earlier. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs. Eh? In needs. 
in distresses. Are you, are you seeing problem? Distress in itself is a stress. You now come and pluralize distress. In distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and, and on the left, by honor and dishonor. By evil report and good report. As deceivers and yet true. In other words, we are true. They say we are deceivers. Right, stay here in verse 8. Give us a TPT. Amid honor and dishonor, slander or praise, even when we are treated as deceivers and impostors. You see that? Now go back to New King James. As deceivers and yet true. That's the same thought that goes into verse 9. Verse 9. As unknown and yet very well known. You're treating us like meanwhile, we're notorious. So the fact that somebody says you're nobody doesn't make you a nobody. <laughs> Most times the people that are saying you are nobody are just saying it because they don't want to have to admit that you are a body. Some body. <laughs> but you, you are, you are some body. And says as, as un, unknown. And yet, well known. Paul, ah, I'm not ahead of him. He's one of those missionaries that travel around when he manages to come around when he's not in prison. That's how they would have looked at Paul. Because you know he called them super apostles. In this same second Corinthians. Or I think the message says pseudo apostles. But says the super apostles. So they look at him like hey, this is making noise. All his letters that he has ever written from prison. He only manages to pass a missionary journey when he manages to stay out of prison long enough. Because you know in the truth, three verses earlier, he says imprisonments. <laughs> Do you understand? The jailer, you know, it's like those movies you watch. Jailer is going, releasing you, like, see you shortly. <laughs> Keep yourself warm. You will be back. I'm sure at some point it'll be Paul telling them it was a good run. See you when I'm back. <laughs> Because it's at that point that jailers began to get saved. Yes. Jailers are regular stuff. And, and it says, as unknown, yet known, as dying, and behold, we live. As chastened, and yet not killed. Now see verse 10. As sorrowful. Yet, that, that, that word is important. 
never let anything to make you feel like there is a way that you will not reach. Always. See, see where it comes. He has mentioned imprisonments. He has mentioned distresses. He has mentioned shipwrecks. He has mentioned all that. And he says, as sorrowful yet. Always rejoicing. As poor. Yet. Making. I love Paul. I, I see myself in him so much. That's Paul. Yet making many rich. Because that's real wealth. Looking around and seeing how much God has used you to do in the lives of people and not just preaching the gospel. By being the gospel. And people will look at you because you're not driving the kind of car that they expect somebody like you to drive. They think you're suffering. Uh-uh. Making many rich. Sorrowful. Yet always rejoicing. As Paul. Yet making many rich. Put it back up. As having nothing. <laughs> and yet possessing. That's, tell anybody that's what joy can do. I beseech you as I try to close. Do not find exceptions to applying God's word. Nobody is powerful enough. Nothing is strong enough. No money, no business deal, no transaction, no relationship. No condition, no circumstance is strong enough. If scripture says rejoice always, it is because you can. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through to 10. Oh, hallelujah. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. (laughs) Whose story is this? Every side, sir. Every side. We are perplexed. Oh, but not in despair. Mm -hmm. We are persecuted. And not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body. The dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life of Christ. Go on. Jesus may be manifest in our body. Show me the TPT verse 10 so you can see you can understand it better. Carrying in our body. We continually share in the death of Jesus in our own bodies. Does that make sense? So that the resurrection life of Jesus will be revealed through our humanity. Put it in the message. What they did to Jesus, they do to us. Trial and torture, mockery and murder, What Jesus did among them. So New King James says, carrying about in our body the death of Jesus. Participating in his suffering. That's what Paul meant in Philippians 3 when he says that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. I want to partake of what Jesus partook of. Because I want to partake of what Jesus is partaking of. If Jesus suffered and he has entered his glory, 
and then now we are suffering for his sake. Yeah. And we suffer for his sake, now we too are entering glory. <laughs> so we too, for the joy that is set before us. Yeah. We're not the cross. The cross we are carrying is not for salvation of sin. That's what Jesus meant by says, carry your cross and follow. He didn't say die for yourself to forgive your sins. Cross there refers to ministry, service, as is written for your sakes. We are led to the slaughter all day long. We are pressed but not crushed. So our reality doesn't end at our condition. Our condition is not our reality. You don't have any money now. That's not the end. You don't have a job now. That's not the you don't need money to be nice. You don't need to buy diamonds to show love. Start with binding wire. You don't need to start big to start well. You don't, if you're waiting to, to have, you will never start. And I promise you, you will never start. You will never do anything good. Never. You can't get the door now when you're coming out of a taxi. You can't get the door now when you're coming into the hub. You're waiting until you get Rolls Royce. Keep rolling. Because you'll never get what you're not processed for. Never. God loves you too much to give you what to kill you. Oh yes. Oh yes. Too much. It will crush you. You can't serve your own water. No. You're asking God for riches. Do you understand what I'm saying? You become impudent and irresponsible. So we can't be circumstantial with our approach. You don't need much. You don't, you don't need much to enjoy the best of life. How much food can you eat? There's an end. Start eating, let's see. Start eating. We'll wait. One pot, next pot. One custard of Gary Eber. Next one. See, you will say you don't do. Your gauge might be different from that of somebody else's, but you will gauge. How much can you eat? How many clothes can you wear? All the shoes you have, one pair. It's like me now. He, ah, me, I have nice, nice shoes. I'll now wear this brown shoe. Yeah. Then I wear white things. Because that, you know, life is too short. It's no time to waste time. One pair. If you're a guy like me, you wear the one pair of pants, you know, trousers. That's it. For time. So why are we so dependent on material things as our source of settlement and security? It's nonsense. The person that had it all. You see, there's how somebody will say, me and Pav can say to you, oh, vanity upon vanity, all is vanity. 
I have only one wife. See, auntie, somebody had 1,000. Not, not 1,000 women. Wives and concubines. Not the ones that came through the... So Solomon didn't have 1,000 women. He had more. He had more. The ones on record. Yeah? Official front and side kicks. 1,000. It wasn't 1,000 women in total in Solomon's life. No. Every day they brought women to him. Every day they brought horses to him. Every day they brought gold to him. Every day. Every homage paid to Solomon included bounty in gold and people. So when he heard the richest man in his time, it wasn't a joke. So no, it wasn't, it wasn't, he had thousands of women at the very least. On record, the ones that he chose for himself. 1,000. Understand it? Do you understand? The ones he chose unto himself. 1,000. Do you understand? Yeah. 300 wives, 700 concubines, and then the rest. A woman who was rich, the richest black woman that ever lived, saw in First Kings 10, Solomon's, she fainted. First Kings chapter 10. There was no, the Bible says in King James, there was no more spirit in her. When she saw the road he uses to go to the house of God. Not the house of God, though. See it there now. Just the road from which he went from his palace, his own private road. Gold beaten, fine gold beaten road. When she saw the clothes his servants were wearing, the arraignment of his waiters, waiters, not ministers, not cabinet, waiters. When she saw the arrangement, spirit left her. She passed out. Meanwhile, you know she came out of pride. She heard his fame. Who is this guy? So she came all the way from Ethiopia. Let me come and see this guy that they're saying is wise. Let me test his wisdom. Because she was wise and powerful. Let me go and test his wisdom. She passed out. Then woke up and blessed his God. Yes. <laughs> See that your God is working for you. So Solomon was no pushover. He got thousands of chariots every year as, as levies, as homage, as allegiance payments. David conquered everybody and made everybody start paying Solomon. So money fight a war. Serious peacetime king. Chilling. Enjoying grace without works. That was the picture. Somebody like that tells you all is vanity. Auntie, pay attention. That's all I was trying to bring out. 
but somebody who has been with more women because imagine the 1,000 the 1,000 alone it would take nearly three and a half years for the woman's turn to come again roughly about three years I take 365 days a year and you take a number it's okay today is my night those people are looking for one night with the king there's some things in Christianity and religion you should not get involved in one night with the king we are at the pool of Bethesda run because only one person once a year gets a miracle at Bethesda so when somebody says we are calling pull up beside them this run for your life don't we reason the guy told Jesus angel comes once a year stares the water first person to jump in receives healing so it's not one person Holy Spirit it's not one person that jumps in so it's the water that determines who hits it first so now thank God for the one person who hits it first but imagine the other dozens that have to now find their way back out of the pool with their infirmities and wait to try again next year God forbid that I'm in Bethsaida Now this guy's picture says, I have no one to throw me into the pool at the stirring of the water. That means there was other people, hear me carefully, that had people standing by to throw them in. And once they don't receive the healing because they were number two or 20, they will fetch them back out because they are invalids, they are incapacitated. So if you were, if you were lame and we threw you in the water and you were not first, if we don't pull you out, you will drown and die. Bethsaida is not the New Testament believer's reality. Can't be our reality. Ah, our sonship is no lottery. So you, you, it's very irresponsible to come and sell a Bethsaida narrative in the New Testament. What nonsense. So we have come to the pool of Bethsaida. Run. It's only one person. One, and the, the word has never been more true than now. One lucky. One lucky person. And that's why they said to me, it's gambling of God. I said, well, scripture is silent on gambling. But a God that will make two million people play two pounds to give all of it to one person. That's enough for me to know that you should be careful about that. Because if God cannot give to this one person without first of all tasking everybody else and then you also never know when it might ever be your turn. It cannot be a God thing. Because what you have just showed us now is a bedside narrative. You have just shown us a bedside narrative. Take from everybody. 
And they hear jackpot, 154 million pounds rolled over, rolled over, rolled over, rolled over. And then one person wins. But there's millions who have been impoverished for decades. You can't tell me that's God's way of blessing a man. You can't. That's a Bethsaida setup. So we have people say, oh, all this guys, run for your life. One night to the king. Yeah, 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 yeah. He didn't even sleep with you that night. It's only dinner he had with you. It's not like he got pregnant for him that night. One night with the king is all you need. No, 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 no. Lifetime with him for eternity is what he gave. That's what he gave. In the first instance. Give me eternity. With him. Just one night. But where were we? Solomon. And you taking a number. So Solomon had more than any human being could dream of going through. His treasures are still being discovered. Yes. Solomon's treasures are still being discovered. And he said, Vanity. And you're pursuing what the person who invented it said is vanity. And you're thinking that's where your joy will come from. No, that's shallow waters. That's the same man. <laughs> that then says, um, <laughs> Ecclesiastes 12 30. <laughs> All has been said. <laughs> now, hear the end of the matter. Fear God. You have to understand the, the backdrop amplified. When all has been heard, the end of the matter is fear God, which is to say, worship him with all filled reverence, knowing that he's almighty God and keep his commands. For this applies to every person. The amplified classic is said that this is the whole duty of every man and the adjustment of every inharmonious circumstance under the sun. That's the same guy that says, you know, all has been heard. I've said it, I've seen it all. So who he points you to, pay attention to. Because that's where our joy is. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my soul. This cornerstone. A solid ground found through the shout it. What alone who took on flesh 
the Father, through Jesus, the Son. Shout! Perfect redemption, the purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God, the vilest offender who true that moment passes. Tell anybody I'm conscious of my joy. Because nothing and no one can take it away from me. No way. Joy is unrepentant. It's a response to the grace of God. In the absence of that, you will just hear the word of God and weep. You see why I always tell you that people that preach and their end result is for people to cry. No, the word of God, the word of his grace, the gospel releases in us great joy. You are filled with glorious, inexpressible, glorious joy. First Peter 1 8. Joy. Rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 3 1. Paul is trying to end his letter and he says, finally, brethren, rejoice. Yes. Philippians 3.1 Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord in, in chapter 4 again and verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always and again. I'm repeating the same thing. You know, he says in Philippians 3.1 I'm repeating the same things to you. It's not a problem for me. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. 
Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Rejoice. You're going through something. Rejoice. It's a bad time. Rejoice. Your body's giving way. Rejoice. We're not the first to be pressed. But we know that even they that were pressed were not crushed. As with them, so with us. So the situation that can take a believer out of the love of God has not been invented. For we are convinced. I am convinced. I am convinced. I am convinced. Romans 8.38. I am convinced. And neither death nor life. Let's <laughs> see the So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe. In the universe. With the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death. Life's troubles, fallen angels or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. <laughs> Next verse. There's no power above us or beneath us. No power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus the anointed one such an assurance such an assurance such an assurance that's where our joy is found so we don't become like people who are tossed around by circumstances. Oh, hallelujah. Stay conscious of your joy. You know, the enemy will come and try to, that's all he will come for. Whatever will affect your joy. I, don't forget how I started. He's not interested in your children. You know all this nonsense that religion tells you. The devil wants to kill your children. He wants to kill you. What does he need it for? But honestly, when Satan takes your children, what will he use them for? He takes your money. He doesn't spend it. He's the prince of this world. So when he takes your money, to do what with it? But you know, religion makes it look like the devil is after anything you have. Don't forget it was him offering the kingdom of this world to Jesus. Bow down, worship. I, I will give you. And Jesus didn't drag with him. So there's nothing that you, you think you have as a believer that Satan wants to take because he doesn't have. Except the things he doesn't have. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes, your joy. Your hope. That's when it comes to remind you of your past. Remind him of his future. Yes. As they look at you, it's not you that did this last year. Say, you can't you. When Jesus comes, what will happen to you? Let's know which, which, which one bad past. My past or your future. You say, oh, the devil made me feel guilty. Hey, you are in shallow waters. Come to you, you shake him. Say, you, when, when last, Satan, when last did he read your Bible? Your memory seems to have become dull. 
Come, come, sit down. Bring, open your Bible. Let's go re- Revelation 19. You now say to Satan, let me know when you are, say amen when you are there. Are you there? You can say whatever you want to say if you are there. Hades, the of fire. Bottomless, you can Are you there? You look up and you'll find that he's not there. Like literally, he's not there. Terrorize me with what the blood washed away. When your own hope is a living hope, press down, shaking together, run over. Waiting for you. Come on, harass me. Me, there is a son. So he will only come for what he cannot have because he doesn't have. Don't let him. And anybody he sends. Because every now and then, people stumble into his payroll in church. If you're not doing the will of God at a particular time, it's another will you're doing. And at that point, Satan will use you briefly. Did you hear me? And Judas went out. And Satan entered him. Judas went out. There is so much that can be said for a son of God that Satan can momentarily use. Because if you're not yielded to one, yielded to one will, you're yielded to the other. So yes, Satan will use people in church. To push your buttons. At those times, you must remind yourself of your joy consciousness. Because that's when it matters the most. That's when it matters the most. But it's how you trivialize the situation. That the situation itself is embarrassed. You see, your pro- I've said it before. Your process lasts as long as you make it. Once patience has its full work today, that, that particular trial among the various... Done, but you can be there fighting with the trial, fighting with the problem, and elongating the process because you don't have patience. So, in this matter, patience must have its full work. But it's how you, you, you respond to a situation, the situation becomes embarrassed, and the situation informs Oga, say, Ah, this one doesn't need me. Let's try the next one. You, you embarrass your circumstance. Your neighbors look at you and like, hold this, hold, hold up. It was not you, landlord, was shouting that you have not paid rent. And they're looking at you. And meanwhile, the average person in your shoes wants to wait until everybody has either gone out or gone in. Yes. She now come quietly. Is that not so? Yes. And hope that your lock is oiled enough <laughs> to not squeak. And there's light, but your bulb is off. Nobody see you and you're, you're, you're all... Do you know how afraid your landlord can be when you wake up in the morning and say, Ma, sir, good morning. How are you doing? I, say, I know I'm owing you. I know. I know. 
I will pay. God willing, God helping. I will pay. I don't want to be seeing you and running away from you, sir. That's why I'm coming to you to tell you. I don't, it's like I have, I have the money. But I bought you Coke. I, I could afford to buy Coke. So just Coke, so you can just drink. And just, just. So have a great day, sir. It is well with you. You are blessed. You have gone. Your landlord will be looking at you like. Daniel. Superior living is not difficult. The problem is some of you would think, ah, it's not, uh, Papa doesn't know what he's saying. It's not difficult. And everybody says hiding and walking on tiptoes, walking on eggshells. Are you, you're chilling. And then you look at the same landlord going to use the same bathroom. As soon as the landlord comes out, they use, use the bathroom. But before you go, they're going to use, you go and wash it. The landlord knows that you're not there for yourself. And you're, you're you're fine. And everybody is falling over themselves. Everyone is falling over themselves. Like, you're fine. And they know that this one is not a function of what he has or doesn't have. There's something on the inside. You have a spring in your step all the time. That's where strength is hidden. In the joy of the Lord. Be conscious of it. We're not sad people. Because we're not disadvantaged people. So keep your focus straight, beloved. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Be joyful, always. It will be tough, oh yeah. yeah. But we are built to last. <laughs> Take your neighbor's hand and look, in them, look, at, look at them in the air and tell them you are built to last. That means no matter how long this tough time lasts, you are guaranteed to outlast it. Guaranteed. Build to last. So let life through its worst. Uh, we got this. how disappointed life is every day you wake up and yesterday's worst couldn't keep you down because life doesn't know how deep your roots go so every day it keeps trying does that make sense it doesn't know how deep your roots go every day it keeps trying every day look at the palm tree one of the most referenced agricultural items in scripture. No part of the palm is wasted. The palm is, the palm is planted and for years you see nothing. Sometimes it takes up to four years. Five. Depending on the species. Before a palm tree sprouts. By the time a palm tree sprouts here. Sometimes its roots have gone as much as 10, 15 meters below. That's why they are spaced when they are planted. It goes down and spreads out. When it starts to go up, and nothing stopping it. Its tentacles go deep. 
And then when he comes forth, point to one thing in the palm that is a waste. Oil, wine, fronds, nuts, shells, log. Nothing's wasted. Not true. Harvest the whole thing. Give it a little while. Because roots go deep. So sometimes life comes and shakes you and it doesn't know how deep. And you go, why are they, why are they always coming for me? Why is he? People shh, only throw stones at fruitful trees. Why is it always, why are they always talking about me? Why are they always coming for me? Why am I the one that they are? Oh, people, show me a tree without a fruit that was being stoned. What are they stoning there? But once there are fruits, most times they have the fruit never ripe. But shall we can see fruit? So, out come the stones. Seen fruit. People only throw stones at fruitful trees. So you're getting the stones? Rejoice. <laughs> because your fruit is full. For me, I don't know. They're talking about me. They said this. They said, hey, rejoice. You rejoice. Because you're making the news when others are just making noise. And so you choose. Make news or make noise. Make noise or make news. The roots go deep. Life doesn't know how deep. It comes to try it. But you know how deep you go. And the stone comes and you take it. If fruit drops, another one grows in its place. It will come and shake you and shake all the fruits down. Grow some more. You, you are enough to feed the nation. Ah, Jesus. You are enough to feed everybody. So shine. And do it without effort. You are throwing stones. There's fruit. Just it. <laughs> I rejoice. Count it all joy. You know, there's nothing I love more than ah. You are still here. Oh yes, by the grace of God. Because you can't take me out. So that your, your relationship is still uh, yeah, it's absolute. Every time somebody leaves you in a place where they thought was your lowest, disappoint them. My rising and shining. All a seed needs is ground. All a seed needs is ground. Doesn't matter where you throw it, as long as it's ground. 
to grow. Doesn't matter where they throw you. Come to all joy, guys. There's nothing, there's nothing that deep. You are deeper. Do you understand? You're a shark. You won't find you in shallow waters. Even tilapia, you won't see in shallow waters. It's them, it's them dry, them small, small little water fish. You know those, those three for fifteen naira fish. Is there some gutters you will find those fish? I know what I'm saying. You know those fish that is not sure whether it's a fish or a crayfish, or a semi fish or a tadpole. You know those kind. What will you find? Those shallow waters. Is that not so? Shallow waters. Or deep waters. Tuna fisher hunters go tuna. Salmon. They go kilometers into the deep. Into the deep. These guys are large. And so the guys go in there and just lay down one bait for just the one. The entire boat is dependent on catching one tuna. One. Once they reel that tuna in, they have to go and offload it. Except if it's a large barge. But most tuna fish vessels, just one fishing. And sometimes the war, the tuna can tow the boat for kilometers. It has beating the hook, taking the bit, and the sink, the hook is in there, and the tuna is towing the boat. And they spend hours reeling the tuna back, and then when they realize that the thing is about to break the boat, they will release it so the tuna can feel like it's gaining ground. And then the tuna will tow them, and after a while the tuna is tired, and then they will reel it back in. And it can go on for hours. The tuna has to give up before they reel it in. And that's it. That's maybe sometimes fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. One fish. Oh yes. Deep water, sir. You're not a water fish. Do you know who is your father? Do you know how much heaven staked on you? But you are a chosen generation. Royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people. Call forth out of darkness to show for the praise of him. Kingdom of kings and priests. of your life knowing that uh, I can't be tossed around by every circumstance. You have a job, great. You have a job, you're fantastic. You don't have a job, fine. The boys come, boys go. Wanting to get married, praise God for your life. You don't want to get married, praise God for your life. The scriptural recommendation is for you to not marry. Yes, First Corinthians 7, go and read it. It's religion that told you that you have not married, you have not settled. They have do you from your village. Paul said, I'd rather everybody was like me. Leave marriage, serve the Lord. 
But if you cannot serve the Lord and you are burning up, I'm married. So it's you that determine the level of your heat. If you're born rich, you can't marry. But religion makes you feel like, especially in Africa, if you have not married, something's wrong with you. You are here, you are believing God for your husband. Come out, let's pray for you. That's an insult to the sonship of a believer. Make marriage a prayer point. Marriage. But these things come and go. Our joy is constant because it's based on our hope. I don't know about you, but I choose to rejoice always. <laughs> always. 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 And in always. And practice it. Give God praise with great joy. of your joy deposited in us we're reminded that that joy is our strength we bask in it we bask in it we thank you that we are built to last thank you that even by the understanding of this strongholds and yokes and heavinesses are broken and removed henceforth we fly light we lay aside every weight we fly light every yoke is destroyed every burden is removed we come into the best of our days nothing circumstantial has anything on us we're built for more than this. And we give you praise. Amen. Has this helped anybody? Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at while the church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.